Music from Gráinne Mulvey, Her Interstices, and that's from a brand new compilation released this week on RMN Records. You can find details of this in the show notes for the podcast. You're listening to Amplify, the podcast from the Contemporary Music Centre about new music from Ireland. I'm Jonathan Grimes and I'm joined by CMC director Yvonne Ferguson. Hi Yvonne. Hi Jonathan, how are you this uh, sunny May morning? I'm great, thanks. So we have recorded two conversations this week with composers Dave Flynn and Karen Power. And it's interesting, isn't it, how as we speak to composers and musicians during this period, certain themes and issues are emerging. And high up on the list of these is live performance and how it can happen during this period and as we resume normality. Yeah, conversations, you know, that we've had over the last few weeks and and particularly these two, you know, words like change come up uh, a lot and being responsive to this new performing environment that we find ourselves in. And uh, a particular concern, of course, for composers and for performers is engaging with audiences and how they keep that engagement. And, um, you know, this kind of sense that you can't replicate um, the traditional performance in an online setting up that you have to change your way of thinking uh, about doing that and I think Karen's interview is is really interesting on this Jonathan talking about the internet and using technology and all the challenges that uh, they faced with that uh, performance that they did uh, a few weeks back for for Earth Day and uh, I was struck by Dave's interview also and how he he felt that new music events might be among the first to resume because of the perhaps possibility of having smaller audiences and social distancing and um, it was also interesting that he mentioned recording I felt because I mean that's certainly another theme that has come up both in the responses to the CMC survey and in conversations we've had with composers that recording is going to be even more central um, for the community in terms of the dissemination of their work. And, and I suppose, you know, having said that, CMC is very conscious of, of keeping the profile of new music from Ireland alive during this time of restrictions on live performance and keeping audiences engaged with those who are active in new music in Ireland. So we've planned to take our CMC Salon series out of retirement, uh, we should say, and uh, run a new series of um, the CMC Salon online with the original concept intact. And many people will remember the, the CMC Salon series, which ran for nearly 10 years And um, I suppose the unique element of it was the discussion was not just a performance, it was discussion by the composers about their works, by the performers who were uh, performing the works in the salon. And uh, so we've invited a a number of uh, specialist performers and composers to be part of that series. And we'll be announcing the details over the coming weeks. Great. So watch this space, as I say. Another interesting aspect of these ongoing conversations we've been having is being able to check in with Irish composers and musicians in different locations around the world. And it so happens that composer Dave Flynn is currently in New Zealand. So I spoke to him there earlier in the week. Dave is a composer and guitarist and in recent years created the Irish Memory Orchestra, a cross-genre group of musicians who perform exclusively from memory. During our conversation, he talks about his current situation and how he's adapting, his musical focus during this time, Irish guitar music, and his hopes for the future for Irish composers and musicians. Here it is.
Well, I think composers are kind of used to self-isolation in a way. It's kind of part of the, the composing process. We're kind of maybe a bit better trained for something like this than someone who goes into an office every day and is used to their working life being completely away from their house. You're in New Zealand at the moment. How have you ended up there? I spend a few months every year in New Zealand. Uh, My wife is uh, Irish, but a New Zealand citizen. Since I met her, we've been spending a few months every year in New Zealand and um, the rest of the year in Ireland. And and usually we travel over just around Christmas time or just after Christmas. We're supposed to be back in Ireland by now. Obviously, events have caused otherwise that uh, we're still in New Zealand. But in, in some ways, it's it's maybe one of the best places in the world to be right now. Yeah. What part in New Zealand? Well, we're in Auckland. Luckily, you know, New Zealand has a really, really good leader in Jacinda Ardern, who um, is a very rare kind of um, inspirational leader who you really feel is looking out for the country. You know, nobody knows when uh, this is all going to end and when it's going to be safe to fly again. I had stuff lined up in Ireland that's been postponed or cancelled. So, you know, I should be there, but I'm not. And you just have to adapt to what happens. I was supposed to be back at the start of April to start on a residency, um, Dunleary Musician in Residence. And I just got word of that a few weeks before all the lockdown happened. So I was looking forward to coming back to Dunleary, where I'm actually from that area. I was going to work with a really good friend of mine, Karen Swift, who runs the Guitar Training Centre in Dunleary. And I was going to write a guitar ensemble piece with some of his students himself playing. So that isn't happening, but luckily Music Network and Dunleary Down County Council have been talking to me over the last month or so and a bit of back and forth with how we can actually make this work somehow. It's not going to be, obviously, a live residency so we're going to do a video kind of uh, adaptation instead so i'm going to start next week on that and then we figure out how best to record it and put it out on the internet so it's a new challenge i've never done anything like that before and i suppose we can take the the positive out of that as uh, be learning new things how do you feel about this you know attempt to transfer things that should have happened in in the the physical world into the online world is it something that it's it's a kind of a temporary fix or is it some area opening up that could be ripe for potential exploration we have to adapt to the environment we find ourselves in i would approach it as a new challenge look at it positively this is how it is we have to do it and i'm finding it actually quite good to learn more about doing uh, video stuff there was a five-week lockdown here in New Zealand, a level four, really the highest level lockdown. And over that period, I recorded a video nearly every day of myself playing guitar. I put it up on YouTube and I made, maybe have a dedication in the video to someone I knew. So that was a good challenge for me to just kind of get talking to a camera because I don't do a lot of that. It's kind of helped me get better at that maybe and then just learning how to make videos, record myself making them. It's been a good 
learning process. People who get through crises like this learn to adapt and uh, adapt and adopt new new uh, techniques and things. And so that's part of what I'm doing anyway, you know. Prior to the crisis, like technology was already opening up things. Like um, a few years ago, um, a Romanian violinist called Irina Marisano, who lives in Boston, decided to play one of my pieces, Teresa Quina, and she's recorded it. Now, I've never met her, but we had Skype uh, kind of rehearsal. She was able to play stuff, and I could see her playing, and we could talk through it. That wouldn't have been possible, you know, 20 years ago. One thing that might come out of this is more work will be done on technology to make it easier for musicians to collaborate online. Because at the moment, perhaps the biggest problem with it is that, you know, I can't have a, a jam session with somebody in Ireland at the moment because the delay is far too bad. Yeah, latency is an issue. And in fact, in, in this same episode of the of the podcast i also have uh, an interview which i recorded with karen power last week uh, about this very issue we're talking on zoom at the moment and the skype and this whatsapp they are optimized for just that for voice and not for music so you would hope and expect that something might come out of that because when you think about the long-term aspects of this one of the things that may be affected is the cheap travel air travel so oh definitely yeah 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 that's i think there's no doubt at least in the first couple of years um and that's going to impact touring and live performance uh generally and in some respects it could have positives for irish musicians in ireland because if the international musicians can't come then they'll have to book irish artists mm. if there are concerts <laughs> Um, of course, gradually there will be concerts will open up, and uh, there was an interesting thing there the other day. I don't know if you saw the, the Berlin Philharmonic um, doing a reduced concert I did, in yeah. the hall. Yeah, and that, that was kind of extraordinary to see it. Uh, it looked beautiful, but um, with no audience, it was kind of funny. But that could be the way things gradually open up. You know, mm. it's a strange kind of positive going forward maybe some of the first live events that can be happening will be contemporary music events where um having physical distancing between audience members might be that difficult i think the contemporary music sector can adapt to it maybe a bit better than kind of arena selling out rock bands if there is rigorous funding in place for events then it might be possible to you know open up venues so that the venue doesn't make a loss and the concert can go ahead at a reasonable cost and there can be say you know 50 people in a 150 seater venue or however it'll work it doesn't have to be so pessimistic that live performances won't happen for two years i think they will they'll gradually open up 
classical music has a big problem in that the audience for classical music tends to be quite older. So there's a reliance on when are they going to feel safe to come back. You know, it's one thing people in their 20s used to go to, a, you know, proper rock gigs. But, but what about, the, say, the National Symphony Orchestra, who most of their audience would be older? They're not going to go back out to a live event until they really feel safe and it's not a danger to their health. So that, that is a challenge. And that, that, that actually leads me on to a, a thing I did want to talk about, the immediate future of music and composition. I think recording is really vital now. It'd be great if, you know, say the Arts Council, Creative Ireland and local authorities realise that. And I think they could look at channeling what would have been going towards live performances, towards recording, because recording has been vastly underfunded. It's one of the few outlets that's possible to do still now. Very few people at home have really high quality microphones. So there could be a, a, a move to getting really good quality audio recordings going. And, and that's possible once they open up, you know, out of lockdown in Ireland and in other countries, you could travel to a studio. Two or three musicians can be with enough distance from each other. And often in a studio, you have a, a an isolation booth anyway. To yeah. stop the sound, commissioning composers to write something, particularly for recording. There's no kind of obvious scheme to get recordings made. I think part of the problem is like with Spotify and and uh, all the streaming. Maybe people didn't think it seemed a viable thing to do because there's not a very big income coming out of it. But maybe let's make it an industry. Let's make it something that's funded and we can pay musicians to record works that way. What's the musical focus for you at the moment? Well, it's looking like this year is going to be like the year of the guitar for me. Um, I'm a guitarist, that's what I do. Um, but for the last number of years, my focus has been mainly with my orchestra, the Irish Memory Orchestra. And I haven't written a new notated guitar piece in quite a number of years. So now I'm focused on the guitar and I can record myself, I can multi-track myself. That's part of what I'm going to do with the Dunleary Residency. I've also decided I'm going to record my um, guitar works. That's something I've been thinking of doing for years. I have guitar works that I wrote a good few years ago, and I only have kind of demo recordings. And there's actually a book due to be published this year. Hopefully it does come out, but it's with Mel Bay of my guitar works. So to have audio recordings to go along with that would be great. So that's one thing I'm going to try and do over the next while here. My guitar playing style has developed a lot since then. Like when I would have written those original guitar works, they're kind of in my time in college or when I was younger. The first one was when I was maybe 15 or 16 that I still would play today. It's a piece I call Elegy for Joan after my, my late mum. Then I wrote some kind of minimalist guitar works after that in the 2000s. So now I, I've kind of developed my style. I, I 
developed this kind of trad way of playing trad on the guitar as authentically as I can possibly play by learning about fiddle ornaments, piping ornaments and adding them to the guitar. I've learned more about kind of improvising, free improvising, uh, jazz, certain African guitar styles as well. So there's a lot that I've learned in the last 20 years or so since I was composing those earlier pieces. such a long gap between your last piece for, or your last pieces for, for solo guitar and now? It's just where the music has kind of taken me. Like, um, I suppose my first major success was with the string quartet with the Cranning, which I won the Huddersfield Composers Competition, the Contemporary Music Festival with the first movement of that piece and then they commissioned me to write the full quartet which does make quartet premiered so that kind of set me on a, a path i've worked with contempo quite a bit and then i got into orchestral music and i guess solo guitar went away a bit. I've, I've used the guitar a lot in kind of a chamber or orchestral context. The guitar is in most of my orchestral works now and a lot of my chamber works. And like a few years ago, I wrote a piece for Crash Ensemble called Joy. Which uh, I think is quite relevant now. We all need a bit of joy in our lives. Uh, it was a collaboration with Noel Tumbu, the great Congolese Irish guitarist, mixing that kind of Congolese guitar style with kind of crash style New York minimalism mix. I haven't abandoned the guitar at all, it's just that the solo guitar. My focus was with the memory orchestra and I was solo guitar works don't figure much in an orchestral concert. So. through the catalogue in CMC uh, for solo guitar works this morning just before I spoke to you I'm, I'm very struck by how there's been so much written for guitar by Irish composers and it's consistent it's from the 1970s maybe late 1960s all the way up uh, there hasn't been any gaps it's ever present in in the repertoire so to speak unlike maybe other instruments from your perspective of, of writing uh, for guitar which Irish pieces and uh, composers have interested you most probably the most substantial set of pieces um, by an Irish composer is Benjamin Dwyer's 12 Etudes for guitar I remember years ago when I was a composition student in the DIT, Ben was on the scene in a big way then in Dublin. He ran his Mostly Modern series, which was a great series. And he brought George Crumb over to Ireland and, and put on these concerts in the Bank of Ireland Art Centre. And it was a real eye-opener for me as a student. But I remember at that, um, he played some of his etudes. 
and uh, they were really impressive to me as a, a student of both the guitar and of composition. He was taking new steps, you know, working on new techniques that maybe you might find in rock music and transferring them into modern classical guitar etudes like finger tapping and things like that and he was doing it in a really inventive way and he's a fabulous player himself so like he's developed those etudes over time they're, they're really significant works <laughs> at say my old guitar teacher John Feely who uh, has really pioneered commissioning of works from Irish composers. He had a great CD years ago called Emotion which had pretty much all Irish guitar works on it. Say Eric Sweeney's These Figurations. It's another great work. I've never attempted to play it, because it's, um, John will tell you, it's a very difficult piece to play. And then Jane O'Leary, her four pieces for guitar. classic pieces of the Irish guitar repertoire. They're um, really colourful works. A few years ago, for Jane's 70th birthday, I composed a piece called 70 Bars for Jane for Contempo Quartet. I took a motive from the first of the four pieces and just kind of crafted a string quartet piece out of that opening motive. What I like about those three pieces, say Ben, Eric, and Jane's pieces, they're very all very different. They're all very contemporary. Uh, yet I think there's something in all of them that, when played as well as John and Ben play the pieces, uh, I think they connect with audiences as well. Going back to the you know the other big influence on your work, um, your work with traditional Irish musicians and your many collaborations and your and your research and and all that if you were to pick one musician who has had the most influence on your work who would that be and why it would be Paddy Fahey great composer who passed away last year aged 102 just his tunes are really beautiful tunes and I was actually playing through them the other day there's a thesis done on his music and, and by Maria Holohan that's in the University of Limerick and she recorded him playing his own tunes and transcribed them and I was playing through them as if I might play through Bach violin partitas and uh, I get the same enjoyment out of them. You know, they're, they're not as long or complex, if you will, but they're no less beautiful, I think, and, and there's a certain magical quality out of the, his tunes that's kind of hard to describe.
his music has really influenced me a lot and not just me his music is played by pretty much anyone who plays traditional music has played at least one Paddy Fahey tune and um, what's remarkable about it, all that is that he himself never did concerts he never did a, re a commercial recording he uh, his music just kind of got out there through you know starting with sessions in East Galway people just hearing the tunes and going oh, that's a nice tune and, and eventually all you know those Paddy Fahey tunes on Planksty recordings and um, Martin Hayes has recorded quite a few and I recorded 20 of them. I'm looking at them now, I might record a few more over this period. Going back to the situation that we're in and that we talked about and, uh, you know, the future over the next year, two years in relation to music. And given that you are in New Zealand for the foreseeable future, you're not sure when you'll be able to travel back in relation to your own work as a musician, as a composer, pre COVID days. What's the thing that you miss most and are looking forward to resuming once we come out the other side, so to speak? In terms of music, it's definitely my orchestra. It's a great bunch of people and we always enjoy playing together, you know. We put in a, a big Arts Council funding proposal there just before the crisis hit for next year. And we've got a few um, provisional bookings with various venues and festivals and so I just have to really put the fingers crossed that it all works out and that this time next year, these kind of concerts will be still possible, you know. And also along with that is the very simple thing of an Irish trad session, which um, you kind of only realise what you miss when you can't do it. That's been a, a real important part of my life in the last 15 years, both musically and socially. I've learned a lot from it. And so that's a really, really vital part of Irish culture that's just kind of gone. And we don't know when it'll be back. Again, just going back to your your optimism towards the future and you know getting mm. through this um when we do emerge uh how different do you think the music scene in ireland will be as a result of having to go through this mm. it's interesting if we're talking about when we get to the other side and everything like live music can go ahead as it used to go ahead it all really depends on how the people who fund the arts and the promoters uh, approach it. And I think now is actually an opportunity to rethink maybe a bit of how things are funded, how artists are funded. And if we get that right, then I think it could be quite positive of when it comes back. I know there'll definitely be a great release from the first few concerts. People will just probably get a great buzz out of it. But um, I think rethink how artists are funded is important. Like um, 
if you look at say the first arts council response to the the crisis was the what they call the COVID nineteen fund, and I know there was a lot of criticism for that. But one thing I, looking at it, that I thought was positive was the actual application form, um, and I think there's something they can learn from that. The application form was way more simple than uh, any arts council application form I've seen, or any arts funding application form I've ever seen, and it may be wonder why aren't they all like that and it's something I've thought for a long time um, especially for composers but why do we have to give our secrets away in an application form why can't we just say here's my track record here's what I've done over the years here's the artists I've worked with here's artists who maybe like to work with me in the future if you give me funding for over the next year if you or the next three years multi-annual funding um, I'll I'll produce work. You know I will. I'll produce good work. I've consistently done it over the years. I, I, I've always kind of been troubled by the idea that you have to spell out exactly what you're going to do with it because it, it's, it kind of goes against the kind of, the kind of um, exploratory element of composition of, you know, great art comes from contemplation and an open mind, I think. And if you predefine what you're going to do, you might close yourself off to what you could do. And here's a thought to perhaps end on. I wrote in the Irish Times a letter a while ago about an emergency canoeist, you know, the canoeist that ASDNO members get. I think it's about 19,000 a year at this point. And so I thought about how to do a canoeist for all. For an example, 500 artists every year could be supported with a 20,000 grant, and that would cost 10 million. And in the grand scheme of arts funding, that's not a huge figure. When you pool everything the Arts Council, Creative Ireland, local authorities, festivals have, you know, that, that wouldn't be a huge amount. In some countries, it would be a drop in the ocean in their arts budget. It's some food for thought, you know, what great art could be produced if artists could not have to spend a good amount of their time doing application forms and instead could focus purely on their art like the ASNA members um, are able to. I'd love to see, and I've talked about it quite a bit over the years, um, the idea of the canoeist being opened up to something that you can actually apply for rather than just being there for people who get invited into ASDONA. Dave Flynn. Thank you so much for all all your thoughts and, and everything and uh, for a, like a largely kind of positive um, view of the future. It's important to stay positive as much as you can, even in uh, circumstances which are obviously very difficult for everyone. Like um, I, I try to be positive as much as I can in these situations. And I think that's how a lot of people are, are getting through things. And it's actually great to see there's a lot of, solidarity among artists and among communities it's something we were kind of maybe missing a little in recent years in society and, and that's one thing that's definitely happening there's some sense of community seems to be coming back so let's keep that when we get through this and hopefully keep or even develop a, an even greater sense of community amongst composers mm. and musicians in ireland uh, because Everybody will be in the same boat as we come out of this because, you know, there'll be less resources available and, you know, we need to fight our corner collectively. Yeah.
How much time is it there? Uh, it's 20 to 11 in night time. Right. Right. But that's fine by me. I'm a night owl. So. Yeah, yeah. Is that where you you get get a lot of your work done? Yeah, pretty much. I'm a, I do the other nine to five, as they say. <laughs> The third movement of String Quartet number three, The Keening by Dave Flynn. And for a list of all the music used in this podcast, please see the show notes for this episode at cmc.ie forward slash amplify. And so on to our second conversation with Karen Power. And Karen was recently involved in a live internet performance along with other musicians in Ireland and the US that took place as part of the Earth Day Festival. So this performance, Yvonne, happened over Zoom last month and the event was streamed live on the internet. I was quite interested to find out about the project and ask Karen about the experience of performing live with other musicians over Zoom. As you'll hear from Karen, the technology raises more questions than answers about live online performance. So it was interesting to hear Karen's reflections on the project after the performance had taken place. This quartet, uh, which we called Veiled Borders, uh, myself, John Godfrey, Jane Rigler, and Thomas Sifo, got together last year for the first time uh, to perform at um, the ISTA conference, um, which happened to be held in Cork. We had never played together before. Um, we, we had never met Thomas. We've known Jane through Pauline Oliveros. And so essentially the quartet um, came together um, kind of through a shared ethos, um, which is very much around Pauline's thinkings, um, Pauline's writings, and the general sort of deep listening ethos. And so essentially the, the quartet is designed to communicate through time and space, um, and that we would all come together physically uh, for the sister conference and do an improvised performance um, that moves between digital, analog, acoustic, found, natural. So you've got the full spectrum of kind of, uh, I suppose, instruments and instrumental thinking and musical thinking from, let's say, Western art music through to natural environments, through to found objects and electronics and digital forms. When all the lockdown began to happen, uh, we started having a conversation about feeling isolated and on top of the things being cancelled, you know, trying to find ways where we could maybe communicate and perform. And Jane came across this conference or this, this online website portal, uh, which was calling for uh, performers, composers to either send something in or try to do a live uh, over the internet performance of some kind. Um, so we proposed to do this and to expand the idea of Veil Borders into um, this kind of physical distancing relationship uh, to almost do things like play with the latency that naturally occurs in Zoom and um, to really kind of think about 
internet and performing over the internet as a fifth member of the of the ensemble and to really kind of try to negotiate that space um, and see what would happen. And, and as I said, this was all done through through Zoom, which um, in itself was very challenging because obviously Zoom is is designed for people to have conversations, um, not necessarily for any kind of musical performance. Um, and so we met a number of challenges early on with um, because obviously a number of us would need to use microphones, uh, interfaces, different software. You've got potential issues because of the fact that Zoom or a lot of these platforms are, are very, very heavy. And so as soon as you start them up, then they basically grab a lot of the processing power of your computer. And so we had like software crashes, um, things like this. Uh, and then even Zoom in particular, we discovered will only actually take uh, inputs from any kind of uh, interface. It won't take your outputs, which means you kind of have to create like this miniature loop. And then you have balance issues. So you're never, you're never quite sure of what you're hearing because you're hearing everybody back, but you're never sure about your level going out to everybody. So we, we carried out um, as many tests as we could. We were always facilitated by the, the, the guys at the other end. Um, so this, this World's Earth Day performance was hosted by uh, Indiana University. Does it feel that uh, you're at the start of something very, very new, as in, you know, unexplored territory for you as a composer or as a, you know, um, improviser? Or, or, or does it feel like you're presented with this situation and this suite of technologies and you're having to make do with it mm -hmm. to create something i think what's what really um i took a lot away from it um i think we, we all did we're still kind of talking about because we're going forward to do another one in july and our idea is that we would um do this remotely a number of times and then eventually we would actually come back together physically and see how it's changed the way we uh, respond to each other um, and that, I think, is, again, really interesting. The most concrete thing to take away from any of this is an acknowledgement that when you change anything about the way you interact with an audience um, or the way you perform, the way you compose, the way you improvise, you, I think you have to acknowledge that you change the whole thing. Changed for us as performers, um, for each one of us individually, 
for an audience. Um, so basically the audience signed into the website, which was live and experienced the, the performance live. Obviously they didn't see the nuts and bolts of what was, what was being negotiated in the space, but you know, there's already that separation. I, for one, as the least experienced performer in the quartet, I'm going to be a bit vulnerable here and say, like, it really, it showed me up, you know, um, as, as a non-performer. The others, I think, were a bit more able to cope um, because they were, um, uh, you know, um, experienced performers. It's like what you said at the start, that the internet is the fifth performer in a sense and that fifth performer is giving you back different mm -hmm. different feedback and that's obviously having an effect on how you respond is that how is, is yeah. that how you see it yeah um and you know i think well i think again i think we have two different things going on here we have we have the internet and then we have zoom that's been designed for a particular um thing and that that we're now using for something very very different. Um, so there are restrictions and um, and I know again we we spoke about this a little bit earlier. You know this uh, like this feeling of you're not quite understanding what what the software can do and is doing, and yet we're using it. So we're really there's a really fragile um, balance uh, going on here, um, and uh, which which works in improvisation uh, because it becomes the element that no more than if you uh, do an improvisation solo in in a forest and a bird swings by and throws something into the mix or in field recording. You know, when you go outside, there's always something that's going to surprise you. It's how you respond to that surprise that's the the gold or the the kind of interesting part. But I would say that in this instance, there was a huge amount of unknowns. Um, and perhaps for me uh, at the moment, maybe too many. All of these new things are being uh, kind of thrown at you and and you kind of need to focus on one to just contribute. that um there is a role for developing i mean obviously the art will develop um uh, over time but what about the technology itself and the technologies themselves in terms of being developed that are perhaps more suited to these kinds of things that you're trying to achieve as an ensemble mm -hmm. well what we're talking about you know isn't anything new uh, as you've already said, um, you know, there are 
there are so many people that I've known over the years who have dedicated their their practices to uh, distance performancing. Um, I think largely to date, um, most of those performance platforms that operate um, over the internet are um, kind of cocooned within universities um, because they're the ones with the with the the cabling with the, the possibilities. So it, it exists. Um, I've done a couple of performances where latency is down to practically nothing and you're getting a clear signal. You know, there've been so many performances between the States and, and Ireland. I mean, Sark is doing amazing work um, in this area, just to mention one. I think maybe this will force the technology out and maybe make it a bit more um, accessible to, for the rest of us who don't operate um, strictly within university parameters. Um, and I've, I've already been hearing about, you know, different um, uh, applications and, and software being developed that would prioritize audio. I think the main question or the main thing to remember is that you're changing the art of performance when you engage um, in this way. Um, I have to say that I felt very isolated in my office and, you know, John was down in his office and so we weren't performing together. Uh, Jane um, was in court and the audience, I don't know where the audience was, but, you know, I saw no audience. I heard no audience. And this is an important one, actually. This is something that um, I, I remember having a really amazing conversation with Pauline Oliveris about this, is about the breadth of the audience um, and what that brings to a performance. And to a certain extent, it feeds you. Music from the Veiled Borders Quartet, ending that conversation with Karen Power. That's all for this episode. My thanks to Keith for the editing and production help. If you are enjoying these weekly podcasts, please let us know by dropping us an email, amplify at cmc.ie or through any of our social media channels. Remember to subscribe to the podcast. You'll find links at cmc.ie forward slash amplify.